Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. I mean, some of you older folks were just about to bust out. You were, you were just about to just let go, stand up, get all into it. Younger people are like, I think I've heard this song. So uh, we're talking about what it means for us to build community. And uh, this whole series is right out of uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. So just a, a, a pretty you know, intense conversation that Paul's having with the church. And so in order to fully appreciate it, we sort of have to go back to what happened on the day of Pentecost. And so for a moment, if you stop and you think about what's going on, then, then we know that you know, in the aftermath of the, uh, of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have the disciples waiting in Jerusalem. Jesus has instructed them, wait in Jerusalem and you'll be baptized with power and you'll become my witnesses. And so they're waiting in the upper room. We're told in the beginning of Acts, they're in one accord together. And then the, and then the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing mighty wind and and tongues of fire sit on their heads, and they spill out of the upper room, and they begin to speak in other tongues. And we're told then that everyone out there on the street heard in their own language. They weren't unknown tongues, they were just unknown to them. And so this moment in which you have the birth of the church, you have a group of unprepared, immature, untrained people who are equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak and build the kingdom of God alive on earth as it is in heaven. It's a miracle. It's a crazy, crazy miracle. That people who weren't expecting it, weren't thinking about it, weren't planning for it, they hadn't set up a class for it, no one had been certified, none of that stuff had happened. They just were instantly equipped and empowered. They were given an empowered voice to speak, and every person heard in their own language. I mean, whatever they needed to hear, they heard. They got it. They picked it up. They took it away. And what do you think the early church, then in this moment, seeing what was happening, what do you think the early church took away from this moment? What do you think they talked about and taught and challenged each other with? what they took away was we ought to all speak in tongues. So that then the epistle writers have to keep writing, you missed it. That was not the point. The point was equipping unprepared, immature, untrained people to speak whatever needed to be spoken so that the kingdom of God could be built alive on earth as it was in heaven. That was the point. And what did the great giftedness of that moment mean? What did those people do? How did they prepare? They were willing. They were willing. They were willing to allow the Holy Spirit to use whatever their unique thing was to build the kingdom of God. Are we? It seems to me that what's happened in the building of the kingdom is that we have begun to treat Christianity more as a consumer and less as a participant. So when we see everybody doing okay, by the way, it's good to see you all. 
heard Gabby trying to get you all to be responsive while I was driving over. And Thank you. It's good doing those lessons stick. So that in this moment, as we look at all of the analysis that's going on in the life of the church in America, and where, what we're hearing is people are moving away from traditional Christianity, that, that thousands of people are leaving the church over these last 20 years, and especially accelerated through the pandemic. What is it they're leaving? Why is it that we're walking away? At least, in some ways, we're leaving the idea that Christianity is a self-help program, one among many self-help programs in the world and in the culture. And the early church was given this amazing cataclysmic moment, this teaching of how God works and how he empowers individuals to build the kingdom. Of all the things that you could be gifted with, can you imagine being in an instant gifted with the ability to communicate with people in another language that you don't even know? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? And yet the message was not the language. The message was the empowerment of God to use each individual in a unique way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and that God was fully capable of getting it done. Fully capable of getting it done. So that then the New Testament writers began to say, and by the way, not only is he fully capable of getting it done, he needs every single person to offer themselves in this process of building the community. All of us. All of us become uniquely gifted in the life of the church. And it matters what we do. And it matters how we serve. Add to that this little passage from Proverbs 29, 18. Here's the King James Version. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The NIV broadens it a little. Where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. I like the message. Eugene Peterson gives us the message. It's his goal, as he was a pastor teaching in a Bible study, was to translate in the rawest form possible the Scripture. To use the most guttural, visceral language possible to convey exactly what the original languages are saying. So if you like the message, that's what's going on in it. This is what he says. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. People stumble. When they can't figure out what God is doing, we stumble around. And so what is God doing? What is the vision? What is the passion? Well, God celebrates diversity but he invites us to work on unity. Amen? I mean, he celebrates diversity, but he invites us together to work on unity. Ephesians 4, 4, 6. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, let's talk for a minute about socialism and capitalism, because who doesn't want to talk about that on a Sunday morning? So, I grew up with parents whose parents were, you know, lived through the Depression. My parents were born just after the Depression, but my parents grew up with a Depression mentality. Did anybody else go through that? So, we didn't waste anything. It was a, there was a very deep sense. I believe that my mom somehow had special 
dispensation, enzymes in her body. She could eat leftovers for weeks and not die. And she would. She would. There'd be things we'd be like, we need to throw that away. Oh, no, I'm going to eat that tomorrow. I'm pretty sure it'll be crawling around in the refrigerator by tomorrow. My parents, because they grew up in that mentality that if you work hard, everything's going to work out. Just work hard. They were thankful for work. My parents were thankful for work, and they wanted me to be thankful for work. I was not. So looks like to me you'd enjoy mowing the yard. No, no, don't. Looks like to me you'd like to pick the fruit in the garden. Nope, don't want to. But I think if you grew up in that mentality, you have a leaning, you know, economically towards capitalism. Work hard. Earn it. You'll get what you deserve. If you grew up at another time, you may have lived through, you know, some of the great economic turmoil of the last few decades. You know, things like Enron and, you know, some of you are like, ah, I think I remember that. The housing bubble that burst, you know, the recession. You, you, you know, you might grow up like, you know, maybe you ought to share. We ought to share and share alike. Everybody ought to have something. Now, Jesus is pretty explicit that he doesn't care all that much about the economic systems of our world. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God. So we kind of get the impression that Jesus doesn't really care about how we parse out our economics. But he does say to the rich young ruler, just one thing you lack, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then you will enjoy the celebration of the kingdom of God. What do you think he's saying? I don't think he's talking about economics. I think he's looking at the condition of a heart, and I think he's what's, what he's saying is that within the context of this body of Christ, there should be a spiritual kind of socialism where we're willing to share what God has gifted us with with each other. Amen? So we just had a little interesting experience. We sang, lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. Because it stirs something in us, doesn't it? What does it stir in us? It stirs us a vision of how we might share with each other, how we might care about each other, and we long for that. There's a part of us that's like, yeah, you know, I mean, in the 70s we were drug impaired, but <laughs> we did have a vision, and the vision was we're all going to get along. We're all going to get along, and we're going to sing about it, you know. And there's something in us that longs for this reality. And when people don't know what God is doing, they stumble around. But when they get in touch with what God is doing, then they begin to get some traction about what matters most and about why we were created and why we were created like this. And the truth is that God celebrates diversity. God celebrates diversity. He loves it. In fact, He loves it so much. Look around. He created us to be incredibly diverse, didn't he? We don't look alike. We don't think the same thoughts. We don't have the same political views. We don't have the same economic views. Just to feel the tension in the room when I said socialism and capitalism, is, it's priceless. People are like, whoa. This was the day it got weird. People have been here a while are like, no, it's been weird a long time. It wasn't just today. God celebrates diversity. We're scared of diversity. Something about it makes us uncomfortable and unhappy. It's like the only way we can really celebrate in the life of the church is if we're all homogenous, but we're not. We're not homogenous. 
And what happened on the day of Pentecost was that God, at the moment of the birth of the church, empowered people who were unprepared and immature and untrained to speak the gospel in such a way that they were building the kingdom of God alive on earth as it was in heaven. That, that he was sending a message, I will equip you. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what your training was. I don't care how prepared you feel. I will empower you. I will empower your life. I will empower your voice to speak in such a way, to live in such a way, to serve in such a way that you are building the kingdom of God alive on earth. Are you willing? You want to get involved? Do you want to connect to that reality? Do you, do you want to be... When people understand what God is doing... They find fulfillment and purpose. And when they don't, they stumble around. And so in the life of the church, we, we celebrate this diversity. We, we long for it. We love it. We, we, we think about what it would look like. And, and you know, this diversity, is, it goes everywhere. Meaning, it covers all kinds of stuff. So, what do you think in this room right now, watch it online, how many generations do you think we have represented? Three, four, five, I don't know how we distinguish generations. I think of myself as younger than I am. Does anybody else do that? Because I see people I went to high school with, and they are old. They have had a hard life. I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> By the way, those are the people that don't come back to the high school reunion. Amen? I mean, only people who feel good about themselves come back to high school reunions. But I think of myself as younger than I am. But if we just kind of took a, you know, if we said just 10 years apart, 10 years apart. Now, we know that in the old days, you know, generations kind of took a long time. So we have the boomers. That was a long time. That was a long time, you know. And then we have the Gen Xers and the millennials and the Gen Xers and the Gen Ys and the nuns. And I don't know what we have now. But we do know that all of those are getting shorter. The generational changes when we say, here's a group of people that are looking at the world completely different than the people that just went before them. We know that what was, you know, 30 or 40 years for the boomers, we're now down to like three and four years, which simply means in this room, we probably have, I don't know, conservatively, five, six, seven, eight generations represented. Diversity is generational, amen? Which means that down here on the front rows are people that speak a language that I do not speak. You didn't hear the bro. It's down here. It's down in here. They're communicating with me. But if I, as an old guy, do not respect the fact that these people right here speak a language I will never speak and will be able to speak in ways I will never be able to speak, but someone needs to hear what they have to say. I'm going to miss something. And if I look at the generations above me, which are becoming fewer and fewer, and I fail to realize that the generations above me have something to say that, that I may not understand, I may not agree with, but they have a language and will speak to people I cannot speak to. And that would be true if you come from a different background. It'll be true if you come from a different part of the country. It'll be true if you come from a different race. It'll be true who your parents are. It'll be true what your politics are. Amen? Yeah. 
We've decided in this culture and in this world that diversity is not a good thing. We want everybody to be alike, and we want to eliminate people that are different from us. Hear what I'm saying? We talk a lot about celebrating diversity, but we don't mean that. What we mean is we want a unity that represents a homogenous thing. We want to melt everybody down and make them the same. We want to erase the distinctions. We're even having conversations today about what it would mean to erase the distinctions of race and the distinctions of language and the distinctions of gender. But God created us distinct. He never intended for us to water down our distinctness. He celebrates the diversity. He celebrates the uniqueness of each individual. Do we? Do we celebrate the diversity of what the kingdom of God looks like? Because it doesn't look all the same. It looks very, very different. But diversity scares us. It scares us. We're not sure how to embrace diversity without losing identity. So, just so you know, the New Testament writers were dealing with the same struggle. As they started welcoming in these crazy people. Amen? Have you read the New Testament? I'll take that as a yes, but I don't want to talk about it. I mean, imagine the, the church of Jesus Christ was born in a very finite geographical location among a very finite group of people, Jewish people. And you could say the church was born among these rebellious Jewish people because they were kind of breaking from the norm. And then on the day of Pentecost, they spill out of the upper room and everyone hears in their own language. What does that tell you? We're 50 days post-resurrection. And what does it tell you? It tells you that immediately there were people of different race and language learning and hearing and coming to what does the next part of Acts tell us? And thousands were offered to the, uh, were, uh, joined the church that day. So immediately, within 50 days of the resurrection, the church becomes international and diverse. And then it starts spilling out onto Gentiles. Gentiles. So at Passover, we believe that about a million pilgrims would arrive in the first century. Based on, you want to do statistical, forensic, statistical analysis. Uh, studies tell us, evidence tells us that about a, million, about a million lambs were sacrificed around this time in the first century as a part of Passover. Yeah, maybe that's not the right number. A lot of lambs. <laughs> which represented a couple million people, pilgrims, that would have gathered. From all over the world, Jews coming back to celebrate Passover. So that's what's going on. They're hanging out to stay for the celebration of Pentecost. They're staying for this, you know, 50 days after Passover is the celebration of Pentecost. They're staying for that celebration. They came all that way. They're going to do both festivals. Both are required. And so it's into that diverse group, people from all over the world speaking all kinds of languages, Jewish people. Here for Passover, but from all kinds of places. Immediately, the church is thrown into this diversity. And then, you get the crazy Apostle Paul coming and sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. The Greeks. With all their pagan worship. By the way, pagan is not an insult. It's a kind of religion that believes in gods and goddesses. With all of that nuts, crazy stuff coming into the life of the church. People spilling out. And the church is in crisis. 
They're in crisis. How do we deal with this diversity? How do we deal with it? What is it about? So Paul just keeps ringing the bell. What has God up to? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father all and over us all and in us all. Diversity is a gift. It's not a threat. It's a gift. It's not a threat. It's a gift. It's not a threat. I don't know about you, but, but, but here's the reality for me. God's working on me. Anybody else? I mean, I don't know if that amen was, you're thankful God's working on me. <laughs> or if you're identifying that God's also working on you. I, I can safely say, you know, I, I think, you know, I was raised in the church. I'm pretty sure my very first Sunday of life, I was at church. My grandfather was a pastor uh, in a fun-loving group of people called the Pilgrim Holiness Church. And... Uh, yeah, it was conservative, very conservative. And he pastored a church in our town, so I'm pretty sure that, you know, I got born and went to church, and I've been in church. But it wasn't until I was about nine that I said, okay, I think I probably need to, you know, there's probably something that I do to initiate some relationship with Jesus Christ. And I went down and prayed on Halloween night just for, you know, I don't know, it was a revival as a child, I was incensed that anyone would have to go to church on Halloween night. I'm pretty sure that since that moment at nine years old, God's been working on me. If you would have asked me at any given time, what, God, what does God challenge you with? What is he convicting you of? What is he working on? I could tell you. I could tell you. I can tell you now. Because I'm a work in progress and God's working on me. And the Holy Spirit's live and active inside of me telling me what is and what isn't, drawing me into a process by which I think he's attempting to change me into the very image of Christ. I think that's the process that I'm supposed to be in and that I'm actually in. John Wesley used to say, I do believe at some point my heart will be so full of love for Christ that there will be room for nothing else, and I will indeed love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I believe this will happen to me soon after I die. <laughs> Amen? Because we're works, the, you know, the goal always is just a little more than the reach. And we know this about ourselves, but we have a hard time celebrating diversity because we're not sure that's how God's working on everybody else. Amen? But diversity is a gift because people speak different languages. And we celebrate that diversity. We celebrate that diversity. Let, let me read to you how Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as one body, though, one has many parts, just as one, just as a body, I'll read the words on the page now, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 
If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Diversity is a gift. It's not a threat. Listen, that's true in our own families, isn't it? I don't, I don't know how your family works. You know, we had four daughters. They are not all alike. They all have unique giftedness. And you know what? I think as parents, what we would like is we would like them to conform. Okay, I know you know where this sermon is going, so you're going to hesitate. But as parents, we want our children to behave themselves. And we have a general idea about how that works. It's about this wide. It's like the person that said, I used to have a lot of theories and no children, and now I have children and no theories. Amen? Because what happens? God gifts us with very diverse children. And we start to go, you know what? Maybe this, maybe it doesn't look like this. Maybe it looks like this. Because they're different from each other. Our first child was compliant. Wanted nothing more than to please their parents. Cindy and I were like, we are crushing it. We are outstanding parents. I don't know what people talk about the struggle. We're not struggling. We're not struggling at all. This is easy. And then our second child was born. A mind of her own. From the moment she was born. I tell this story and it is true. That child, they laid that child on the scale to weigh her. She pushed herself up and looked around the room. I'm telling you, it was like some demon spawn or something. <laughs> we looked at each other, we're like, oh boy, we're in big trouble. And it was just a moment of, yep, that's her personality. She's going to push the limits. She's going to creative. And, uh, and you know what you find out? So awesome. I mean, stressful. But it's awesome, isn't it? If you have very many kids, you start to understand diversity. Even though you'd like for them all to kind of behave themselves the same, they don't. They don't. They're different. They speak different languages. How much more true is that in the body of Christ? And so we see this gift of diversity, and we celebrate the gift of diversity. I'm so glad you're not like me. And, you know, maybe you say, well, this is so obvious, you know, this isn't even worth spending time on. Well, it's interesting that in our culture, we have adopted a little different mentality about diversity, haven't we? I mean, we talk a lot about valuing diversity, but here's what's really going on. One half of the country would like to eliminate the problem of the other half of the country. That doesn't seem wise or kind. And it certainly doesn't seem as if we're valuing diversity. We're just valuing what we think and hoping everybody that thinks differently would stop. I'm so glad we're not like that in the church. Because what do we have in the church? One way of thinking, one way of living, one way of... No, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over us all and in us all. We were given one spirit to drink. And that spirit is efficient and powerful. And that's what we trust. That's what we trust. And sometimes we, we can't say mentally how the diversity could be unity. And, but then that's not really our job, is it? That's why sometimes we just say to people, God bless you. Which is a way of saying, only God can help you. <laughs> Amen? I don't know how to fix this. Only God could bring unity out of this diversity. Amen? And isn't that okay? <laughs> because isn't that what this is? 
Isn't that what is unique about the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ? Is I'm not trying to get everybody together. <laughs> I'm just trying to use whatever unique gift we have to celebrate and know that diversity is not a threat. It's a gift. It's a gift. We are better in our diversity. They spilled out of the upper room and everyone heard in their own language these ill-equipped, untrained, immature, unprepared people, empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak in such a way that people were changed and transformed and the kingdom of God was alive on earth as it was in heaven. And what was the response of the culture who lived in such immense pain at the divisions of the culture? What was their response? They came by the hundreds and by the thousands to be a part of a place that knew how to do that first part well. Celebrate diversity. But here's the second point. There's only two today. I know, it's a relief. <laughs> they fought for unity. They committed themselves to it. Unity is not easy, is it? Try again. Unity's not easy, is it? I mean, it's easy philosophically. Oh, yeah, you want unity? Oh, yeah. Do you like Bill? No. <laughs> Amen? Sorry if there's a Bill here. I, I, don't, I didn't mean you specifically, but... I mean, unity as a concept is something we're all like, oh, yeah, we believe in unity. Yes, yes. Only until we're confronted with the diversity. And then we're like, whoa, God bless you. And yet the kingdom of God is this vision that holds these two things in perfect tension. And it's what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians 12. We are one body. We're one body. Why? Why are you fighting because you're not the eye or you're not the ear or you're not the nose and you think you're the foot so you're mad at the head? That's what everybody else does. That's not what we do in here. In here, we recognize the diversity, the distinctiveness. We recognize the value that the diversity brings. We recognize that empowered by the Holy Spirit, God uses the diversity to speak and walk into the crazy world in which we live in ways that bring people together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and under the Holy Spirit, which leads us all together. If we understand what God is doing, we don't stumble around. Leads us all together, ever changing into the image of Christ. Amen? And we know that God's faithful in that process. He's absolutely faithful in that. I can't think of a time in my Christian walk that I looked at myself and went, yeah, I'm good. I mean, I was always kind of excited if I got through a sermon without feeling like I needed to go pray. I mean, God was really at the, at the micro level of my life. Still is. It's not just about what the actions that come out the other end. It's about the attitudes that float around. And just about the time I think I'm doing good, then he'll go, hey, what's that little attitude floating around in there? Really? We're going to go all the way down to attitude, motivation? Come on, I'm doing the right thing. Amen? And I bet that's true of a lot of us in this room. I bet if we got a microphone and we walked around this room right now and we just said, what God's working on you? We won't. What is God working on you? We'd be like, well, here's the list. 
I had five things that God's convicted me about. Every time I pray about it, and then, I had a good day yesterday. So far today, not so good. Amen? Because he's faithful like that. In your life, in my life, in the life of people that are new to the faith. Diversity is a gift. It's not a threat. Unity is a strength and not a weakness. But it takes hard work. So here's my question. What was so unique about that moment at the birth of the church is that when God empowered these people, all they had to offer was a willingness to spill out and to speak on behalf of God. That's all they had to offer was a willingness. Do we? Do we have that willingness? I know we're busy. I know there's a lot going on. And I know there's a million ways to serve in the kingdom of God. I get that. But are we? It is so easy to forget what God is doing. And to begin to think that what God has done is he's equipped us for our own edification. That was the mess up of the early church. You know what I want? I want to speak in tongues. You know why I want to speak in tongues? Because it's cool. Because it's ecstatic and it shows everybody that I'm deeply involved. That's not what it's for. It's not about you. It's not what it says about you. It's about what it does to the effectiveness of the kingdom of God. But isn't that just at the birth moment of the church, what did they do? I want that for myself. I want that for myself. I'm going to use that for myself. I, I want to look good. I want everybody to think I'm very spiritual. I want everybody. So Paul has to write a letter. As right letter goes, stop trying to speak in tongues. <laughs> Greatly desire the greater gift. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. <laughs> He's going to get to it. And what about us? Have we taken the giftedness of God and the Holy Spirit and said, I'm going in business for myself? <laughs> I'm building my own kingdom. I got a little fiefdom going. I spend all my time and energy on my fiefdom. And God said, well, I equipped you and empowered you to be an empowered voice in the culture to create the kingdom of God alive on earth as it is in heaven. Are we? Because I do believe this. The kingdom of God becomes the kingdom of God because we build together. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that somehow you use us. You created us. You gifted us with abilities and different kinds of ways in which we relate to the world. We see things differently. Some of us are highly technical. Our world is centered around equations and maths and formulas. And others of us are immensely creative. Some of us don't really know what we are. But in that diversity, you've given us the ability to do things and speak words and to be empowered into the lives of others in unique ways. And when we sing pop songs like Lean On Me When You're Not Strong, something stirs deep inside of us. Something wants and longs for that reality. But not just culturally. We long for it spiritually. We believe that somewhere in there, you, you don't care about economics, but you did teach us about a spiritual kind of socialism where those that had extra they shared and those that didn't have much were able and nobody had too much and nobody had too little because we were willing to take the diversity of the kingdom of God and share it all trusting that the unity comes not from our own willpower but from one God and one faith and one baptism and a Holy Spirit that is alive 
and active. And so we celebrate that today. We pray that you would speak into the lives, that you would talk to us and lead us about what it would mean for us to build community together. So lead us. And as we respond to your word, would you just search our hearts and teach us and allow us in these closing moments to just respond to you. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen. Will you stand? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.